Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. This is Miranda from Zinni Me, and I'm so excited. We're going to be diving deep into that process of, have you ever thought about writing a book? What would that really look like? And what comes between the writing the book and people actually purchasing your book or pre-ordering your book? We are so lucky and delighted to have Kelsey Torgerson done to talk about her book writing process and what comes after writing the book, she's actually already come in and shared a little bit about what inspired the book and um, what came before. And so if you want to check that out in the show notes, you can, and we'll link to her previous interview. But today we're going to be talking about the between after you write the book and like, what are all the things you do to prepare for the actual launch? And how do you do that while still running and maintaining a successful group practice? Like, how do you balance all of the things? So welcome, Kelsey. Thanks, Miranda. Happy to be talking about the book. And it's interesting doing it, having interviewed with you before. Just so many things have changed since then. (laughs) Yes. So to kind of, I'll catch people up super quickly in terms of um, Kelsey's story. And again, I highly recommend you go and listen to the other podcast if you haven't before, um, where she actually just started blogging. She started a process of blogging to promote her private practice and actually had a publisher reach out to her based on what we taught her in business school for therapists. And they collaborated on this amazing book. She wrote the book and now the book launches when officially Uh, March 1st, March 1st of 2022. It's very exciting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of things. So one thing that we talk about a lot when it comes to private practice is who is your ideal client? Who are you really trying to reach in your marketing? And, you know, whether that's through your blogging or on a particular service, how can we speak as therapists directly to the person so that when they land on this page on their website, they're like, oh my gosh, like, yes, this is me. Right. And I feel like there's so much about that process that translates over into a book. And then there's this other piece that's so different. A lot of times when we're talking about like writing for a website, we'll talk about progress, not perfection. Hey, it's okay if like you don't get it quite right because it's fine. You can easily change it, right? (laughs) Like you can easily like shift and change and shift the niche or what have you. And with a book, that's not the case. Like once it's out there, it's out there and it's clear who you're writing for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I would add to that. Once you write the book, you have editors who are working with you and then you have a copy editor and then you have everyone checking all your references. So the first draft that you send out, that can absolutely be progress, not perfection, just getting it out there. But once it's in print, it's in print. 
And so I think once the book is actually, you know, live and published and people are getting their copies, uh, that'll feel, that'll feel different because you can't make a change unless you do a new edition of it. Yeah. Completely different kind of an experience Mm -hmm. to kind of commit to. So um, one of the things that we often do when we're talking about um, marketing a service for your private practice is we'll ask people to write like a client journal, right? Um, and I wanted to kind of play with this a little bit during the podcast, which is a little different than, than normal, but I thought it would be kind of fun to get people who are wondering, like, what does that look like? Like, how do you market a book? How do you get into the vein of that? How do you really connect in with your audience? If you were to think about the, um, the journal, uh, first, like we haven't even talked about what your book is about, but we, that's okay. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> if we talk about, we'll, we'll slide it in as we go. <laughs> but one, the ideal journal, the, I jur- the journal, like what is happening for the person? Cause this is a self-help book for teens. What's mm-hmm. happening for the teen, the ideal teen who might look up this book or what have you, what's happening for them? If we were to kind of do a little personal journal, what would it say? Yeah, absolutely. So who this book is really written for are those teens who feel really, really anxious on the inside, but outside they seem really angry. And so what's going on for them is they're doing really well at school academically. They probably have a lot of extracurriculars they're doing. They're very focused on like their future goals and getting into college and having a good career. They're very highly driven and and highly motivated. So they maybe present this outside service that like looks pretty good nine times out of 10, but that 10th time they're getting into huge fights with their parents or getting in trouble with their teachers. They're getting to that point on their window of tolerance where they're exploding and the hyper arousal side. So it looks like a lot of angry responses, but they're not just angry, they're anxious. And they feel really confused and really worried that there's something wrong with them because they don't know how to fix this problem. And they don't know how to keep, how to not keep getting in trouble for this problem. They don't Mm want to be angry. Mm-hmm. but they don't realize that the anxiety is causing it and the anxiety mm. can be treated and, and be dealt with. Awesome. So they're like, if they're writing in a journal, they're saying like, I don't know why I'm so angry. I feel like I'm good 90% of the time. And then 10% of the time, it's like, I, I flip out. And then afterwards I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. I feel confused. I feel kind of crazy. I yeah. feel judged by people. I feel like suddenly now I have to be extra perfect the rest of the time to kind of make up for the fact that I just kind of lost myself in this moment, which then maybe even ties into some perfectionism thing and then increases the anxiety, making it more likely that they are going to then have this meltdown in another thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like this spiral and they're, they kept getting pulled along it. And actually one of the reasons I was inspired to write this book goes right back to that, like the authentic transformation, the, the authentic uh, the, uh, uh, transformation the product proposition. Yeah. So with that, it was um, even back when I first opened my private practice, I was thinking about who are the kids and teens that I really, really like to work with. And it's those kids and those teenagers who feel like they're bad or there's something wrong with them because they feel like they, their emotions are in charge of them instead mm-hmm. of them being in charge of their emotions. So really feeling like hopeless and there's something wrong with you. And especially for anxiety driven anger, which I think more therapists and pediatricians are becoming aware of, but aren't necessarily like 
specializing in. Those kids who have anxiety-driven anger, they even if we're just working on anger management stuff, we're not dealing with the root cause of what's going on. So, you know, they're not able to get everything fixed. Mm-hmm. Like they could, if they were working with an anxiety therapist who understood that their anger was due to anxiety. Well, and if you just sent them, if you gave them an anger management book, or if you sent them to an anger management class, they would probably be connected in with a group of kids where they'd be like, I don't mm-hmm. connect in with like what you're describing and like your your life doesn't look the same where like that could, you know, you have this anxious person and then maybe someone that's got oppositional defiant disorder. And then you have somebody else who's in this other places working on substance abuse issues and like all these other places mm-hmm. that they're just, and I feel like it creates more of a disconnect yeah. as opposed to a connection of like, oh, I feel heard. And I feel like somebody really gets me versus like, no, I'm, I'm, And again, not to say that any of these kids are bad, but like this, like, Hey, here, this is, I'm bad. I'm supposed to go into this place, but now I'm still not getting support. Mm -hmm. And now I really feel like there's something wrong with me because no one's like hearing me and I don't know how to communicate it. Yeah, for sure. But rarely, if ever is someone like just angry, there's usually something else happening underneath the surface. And that can be depression that's coming out as anger. That can be a past traumatic experience that's coming across yeah. as anger. It could, it could be like oppositional defiant disorder, which is like one to 3% of yeah. kids. But uh, I was looking at the statistics. It's anxiety ha- is occurring in like 25% of 13 to 18 year olds. And oppositional defiant disorder is like one to 3%. And that's probably a little bit inflated. Yeah. So it's really likely that those kids who look like oppositionally defiant on the outside, mm-hmm. like they're not just doing it because that's how their brain works. It could be something else happening underneath the surface, like anxiety. It's kind of yeah. like, I see anxiety driven anger as, a, as an anger subtype. So this is going to be one of the first books that is really focused on them and what they're going through. Like, finally, my hope, finally, someone understands what's going on with me. And there's actually, you know, something I can do about it instead of just feeling like I'm working on the anger management stuff and it's not really addressing what's going on. Or I'm like doing all these things to manage anger, but I'm still feeling all the ways that I was feeling before. Yeah. Now I'm just learning how to like shove down my feelings even more, shove down my responses, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just count to 10. Just yeah. to, I mean, that's, I, I know it's a dumb example, but you know, it's like a great example. Some... People do that all the time. They're like, you just need to manage it. You just need to control it. And yeah. you can be controlling what's happening on the surface without dealing with what's going on underneath the surface. Yeah. Like the, uh, when I had uh, one of my favorite clients was a fifth grader at an elementary school that I worked with. And she was doing really well in school, but kept getting in trouble all the time at home, like stuff would set her off and she'd just explode. And so we did all this anger management work and she got better, but she was still exploding. It wasn't until I came across this article about how anxiety can look like anger that I realized she's actually really anxious and really stressed. So we started focusing on all this anxiety management work instead. And it was such a big, uh, such a big improvement for her because we were actually dealing with the root cause, not just dealing with the surface level. Oh, I love that. Okay. So here's this place, right. Of like, here's this ideal client and you have it so clear in your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's this another layer for you. And this happens when you're marketing private practice to teens as well, that sometimes the teens are looking out for this, but often it's not actually the team that's making the decision. Right. Yeah. So who are the people that are making the decision to buy these books? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so I hope that some of it will be therapists and counselors who are working with the people and they're like, they're starting to get 
to think about things in a little bit of a different way. But a lot of times it's going to be the parents. So there is that balance between here's what you as the team feel like is going on with you. And then here's what you as the parent think is going on with your teenager. And so for the parent, you're probably looking at it and seeing like, you know, I, I want them to do really, really well. And I want them to be successful, but I'm worried because they just like, they can't control their temper. Sometimes they just like explode and it feels like it's out of nowhere or, you know, they won't do what I tell them to do. And then I have to punish them because they're not following the rules and following the directions. Uh, mm-hmm. In the book, it's a self-help book for teens, but we do have, I do have like a parent introduction at first. And then we've got some parent resources on the new Harbinger website. Um, but I very specifically read it to the teenagers. And then the parent introduction said, you know, like, I know you want what's best for your kids, but because they're teens, they have to start growing and learning how to do things independently too. So what does it look like as a parent to kind of give this to them and let them work on it independently without you feeling like you have to be with them every single step of the way. And that's really hard as a parent when you want your, your team to be doing better and feeling better to kind of let them start to take some ownership and take some control and uh, self-direct a little bit more. Yeah. Now for therapists who are listening to this and going, Oh my gosh, it shows up all the time. And I wish I had more resources. What are ways that therapists could integrate a book like this into treatment? Yeah, absolutely. So the self-help book is titled When Anxiety Makes You Angry. And then there's a very long subtitle, CVT Anger Management Strategies for Teens with Anxiety-Driven Anger. So if you're a therapist and you're like, I have a teenager client that I'm working with that and they seem angry, but I wonder if anxiety is making them angry. And I like to incorporate CBT. The book is set out where it's kind of flowing how I would structure ongoing therapy with a client like this, where we first learn about anxiety-driven anger. Um, We build relaxation skills and coping skills. We learn problem-solving stuff. We practice acceptance and commitment. Um, As a therapist using this in treatment, I think you could give it to your client and have them, you know, work through a chapter and then process it. But I really wanted it to be super hands-on and practical. So there's also sections where, you know, all of chapter five is just different coping skills that you can practice and figuring out how do you track it on, you know, like your anger, your anxiety, emotions elevator, or Mm -hmm. the problem solving chapter is totally focused on like, um, actually, uh, I came up with it with you, silly problem solving, like problem solving is really silly. So, you know, breaking it down, like first you have to check in about what's going on and you'd have to look for potential solutions and you have to share those and come up with like, yes or no, it's going to work out. Or we need to go back to the drawing board. There's a lot of practical stuff that you could use in a session with your client for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that, that it really does. It gives almost an outline and a treatment plan as part of it. But again, talking about like the importance of, of teens for the teen to be able to take some ownership and take it home, as opposed to just, it just being something that happens in session. Cause mm-hmm. I think what happens in relationship is so good, but there is something in like, even I feel like I have a 15 year old, right. Um, the, like raising him to be someone who's growth oriented, raising him to be someone who could see that like, oh, there are books that could help and give me support or there are podcasts or whatever the things are that he understands that he's not alone in the world 
And that when there's something that he's not able to like communicate with me or not able to like hear from me in a way that's helpful, that there's lots of different resources. So I feel like it's such a, a beautiful thing that we do as parents and as therapists to help to empower them to say there are lots of ways to get your needs met and it doesn't just have to happen one-to-one in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, That is an adjunct and it's amazing. I super believe in therapy and I've put my kid in therapy and gotten him the books and he has a coach now and all these different things, but like realistically it's exposing him to um, him understanding there's ways to get his needs met. Yeah. In a way that most of us were not, did not experience. <laughs> well, for teens. sure. And I think every parent wants their teenager to grow into a, a happy, healthy adult. But if you hold their hands, like through every step of the way, eventually they're going to go to college and get a job and you won't be able to be there in the same kind of way. So you want in the supportive environment to start training them on how to solve their own problems and process what's going on for them and figure out you know, their own next steps and use you as a resource, but also be aware of other resources that are available to them. So awesome. Okay. So now we have, I think probably people listening have a vision of the therapist that could be helped by this book, the, the parents and the teens. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like? What tell us about the process and what it's looked like for the coming up with the marketing plan and working with a publisher Give us a little window as to like what that's looked like and what that's looked like in terms of balancing that while being a mom and having a successful group practice. Yeah, it's a lot to balance. Just <laughs> It's a lot to balance. Uh, so I started this book process in like October of 2019. So it's been a really long process. First, it was working with the acquisitions editor to kind of put together a pitch and the new harbinger signed off on it. So then I, you know, started writing chapters and every three months I would send a batch of chapters and edits to my editors and they'd come back to me with more. During that time I got pregnant and then had a baby. Um, we are living still in a pandemic. Uh, I grew my group practice to hire more clinicians and uh, hire an intake coordinator and train them. So it's been a lot of things happening at the same time. And then Now with my daughter, who's 16 months old, I'm in the office just a couple mornings a week. And then the rest of the time I'm at home with her. So it's been, uh, it's been interesting to figure out how do I work now as a mom with a group practice? How do I set aside time for work stuff and for book stuff? And how do I set aside time for motherhood? You know, that's really separate and, and, and special too. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm in a good place with the book right now because I've already gone through all the copy editing and it's, you know, being sent to the publishers next month. And then it's going to be out in March 1st. So I'm in the fun part of it right now where I just like get to have the book be the thing and, you know, work on resources that'll be on the author website and everything like that and scheduling interviews um, with other podcasters and stuff like that. So the marketing side has been the fun side. Um, (laughs) And I think once it's actually published and out there, that's going to feel so amazing that there's actually a, a physical, a physical book, but there are a lot of pieces over a long period of time that had to be put into place before I got to this point. Yeah. And what are some things that you're doing with your group practice right now, even during the fun time to kind of prepare for when like, oh wait, there's going to be a lot of 
interviews. There's going to be a lot of these things. You're working with a publicist as part of the publisher, all the things like, what are the things that you're doing to create space so that as you start really focusing in on the book launch and it actually coming out that your group practice and your employees (laughs) still Mm -hmm. have, you know, income and clients and all of those things keep going. Yeah. Well, so with Compassionate Counseling. Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. St. Louis, my group practice, um, I've been trying to get as many things on autopilot as I can in terms of having, you know, blog posts going out, um, doing networking stuff before the book so that I'm not doing more stuff during the book launch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my last new hire, who's an amazing therapist, Molly, I hired her in November. So she's already trained up and has her own clients in Keyslet and like has session times available. And I have a new intake coordinator who's being trained up right now by my current intake coordinator so that that'll be ready to go on its own. I think Mm -hmm. whenever you start a business and you're really motivated and passionate about what you do, you have your hand in everything at the start of it. What's been really good for me, but also challenging for me is like stepping back and not being so like hands-on with everything. And I have Mm -hmm. amazing employees. I trust them to do the work and to do it really, really well. But I have this habit of when I'm feeling anxious about my work, I like just jump in and start doing things. And Mm -hmm. I really have been working on pulling back and not just doing work to do it, but being really mindful and intentional about what can I spend my energy on now so that I've got all this energy to put towards the book and marketing the book and getting the book out there and getting the word out there. Mm -hmm. So it's been an interesting shift. And I think a long process for me too, getting ready for this part of it where I'm like really hands off. Um, but also making sure that my, my therapist still feel really supported and in, in what they're doing mm. too. It's almost, it feels like pregnancy. Like, well, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Like, like, I... It's like, like waiting and waiting. Like, I'm like, I pre-ordered the book months ago. Like, I'm like, <laughs> when's it coming out? Like what's going on? Like, so Well, so when I had my daughter, Sophia, I went on maternity leave for three months and I had two therapists and an intake coordinator then. And I had been training my, my pastor intake coordinator, Lauren, on like how to do the calls because I had still been doing all the intake calls. So I like really took three months off and checked in with the therapist once a week if they needed it during my leave. Mm -hmm. But otherwise I was super, super hands off. So I have had some Mm -hmm. practice with the trusting and believing and letting them do it on their own. But yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, I'm ready to deliver this book, baby. <laughs> and I'm going to be like unavailable for other stuff for like two to three months for the book, baby. Yeah. And then the book baby is going to be able to do some things on its own and, you know, yeah. get older and more developed. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the other thing too, as I, I've talked with a lot of people who were like, you know what, I want another stream of income. I want to do a book because then I can just like make money while I'm not working with clients. 
Um, and I'll say like, what's your timeline? They're like, in like the next six months, I'd like to have this as a stream of income. And I always just kind of like smile and nod, like probably not. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's quite a process. And I think, I think it's the other thing too, that it is a stream of income, but sometimes not always directly in the way that you think of it. It's a stream of income in terms of your expertise, like being the person that's known in that area, being invited for paid speaking to keynote, to be able to um, fill up your practice for so many things. To It can be the foundation for a future course or a certification, like all of these things. But when you think about like the hours that you put in and like the return on investment. <laughs> it's tiny. <laughs> right? Yeah. To go from like, okay, I'm making this much per hour if I see someone in a one hour individual versus like, oh, I think I made 50 cents an hour (laughs) for all the time up until this place. You just, you can't think about it as hourly, but I also would say it's, you shouldn't really think about a book as a stream of income anyway, especially for therapy books. I mean, there are, you know, Brene Brown is amazing, right? Yeah. There's one Brene Brown to everyone else who's writing, you know, yeah. self-help books for people. Yeah. It's more of having gone through the writing process and I think different publishers set it up differently, but I liked how New Harbinger did it where we would do a batch every three months and you get it really crafted and really honed in versus I think some other publishers say you have six months, you're going to write the whole book, you're going to publish the book and then you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, for New Harbinger, I got an advance and then I'll get royalties on the book, but only after they've paid off the amount that they've already paid me. So that like yeah. one, not very big lump sum is probably all I'm going to see for, for a while. <laughs> but if I think about it in terms of, you know, my motivation for writing the book is helping all these yeah. teenagers who feel so misunderstood and they don't know what's wrong with them. You know, I can yeah. reach more people with the book than we could ever see in our yeah. group practice. So that's really, that's the payoff. Um, establishing myself as, you know, a, a leader in the field and and helping get the word out there. That's a real big payoff. And then for us here at Compassion Counseling St. Louis, I think it adds to the, um, the knowledge that we specialize in anxiety driven anger for kids, teens, and college students. So it's, it's there as kind of like a, you know, we can walk the walk Yeah. (laughs) and we have this book and, you know, it's, it's adding to our expertise. I would almost wonder too, now I'm thinking about, which I hadn't thought about before, how this could be such an adjunct to your training of new hires mm-hmm. to be able to like hand them a book <laughs> and say, Hey, here's the process that, that we use in addition to the other trainings that you already have. But for this in particular, like you're, mm-hmm. you're giving them a handbook of like, here's how we do therapy here in a really impactful way for this particular issue. I mean, that's gotta be great. <laughs> yeah. Be like, here's how I would do it. And you know, when you're hiring other therapists for your practice, it's great. If you can hire someone who does what you do, it's wonderful when you can hire someone who doesn't do what you do. Like I have an mm-hmm. art therapist on staff and I've got, yeah. you know, I had a play therapist on staff and I don't, I don't do those modalities. So if you can yeah. bring in different specialties for different people, that's wonderful. But to have that same framework that everyone can use to understand mm-hmm. anxiety driven anger is really what I'm excited about on the clinical side. Yeah. Well, and the idea too, that even though this is a CBT manual manual or a CBT kind of based thing, mm-hmm. if you look at the outcomes for an art therapist, 
they can create the art therapy interventions for each of those chapters and each of those skill building. Yeah. Like it does translate into, Hey, let me take this and like put my own space on this. What does this look like from a play therapy Mm -hmm. um, goal and modality? What, what are the particular interventions that we can, uh, we can shift that um, in that, in that same way. But I do think having that framework, and I think a framework that goes beyond, you know, the old treatment planners that I just don't feel like, like, it feels like they came up with a formula and then they just kept filling it out for the same thing. And like, there's no difference and no like, are, were you really doing this in therapy? Like, did this really happen in real life in a private practice, like with real people? Um, and I know that what you're sharing and what you're doing is real people tested over yeah. and over again. Real know? people, real clients. But yes, I, it's different than like, it's not like we're doing, here's the, here's the program and you must complete all of these steps and check off all of these boxes. Yeah. It's like, here's the, the framework and the steps that I would take. And I would build yeah. them, build the skills in this order, but you can, because it's a self-help book, you can really use it more as like a processing with your client and yeah. a way to explore these different topics and add in other interventions that you would yeah. already be using as a therapist. You know, yeah. it's not like a classic CBT manual right? Yeah. It's uh, CBT skills, acceptance of commitment therapy skills and like relaxation. And like, let's, you know, do some future oriented planning and let's like do this ideal day kind of activity and mm-hmm. incorporating a lot of different things that I like to use in, in sessions. So I love all the things. Okay. <laughs> so here's a question that, and you may not even know the answer to this, but how much time is it really going to take you on like a weekly basis as you get into like book launch season? What are you preparing for? Ooh, I haven't really prepared all the way yet. I think there's still a lot of work I want to do before the book launches in terms of, um, you know, getting resources out there and like marketing on my newsletter and everything like that. Um, so that'll be a couple hours. And then I think I would probably want to set aside like five or 10 hours a week for the next two quarters and then mm-hmm. reevaluate and assess from there, which doesn't, you know, maybe when you're hearing it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I am only in the office 12 hours a week. So it's going to mm-hmm. be about like 50% of my like dedicated work time yeah. that I have to really, you know, do it the way that I want to do it. Yeah. To do it in a way that it really impacts the world mm-hmm. and really hits teens. Um, and they get to really hear about it and get impacted by it. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. So share about what's the, like right now, what is your main source of, of marketing, um, for your book? Right now, the main source of marketing for my book is my blog, but my blog on my private practice website. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've started to speak more and like add blurbs on my popular blog posts from the past that are, you know, related to the book too. Like, um, Mm -hmm. my, I have this body skills, body clues activity that I wrote Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago that gets shared a ton, um, which is like a body awareness. Like, where do you feel emotions in your body? That's something that is included in the book and is a big part of the book. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's something where now it's, you know, you know, find Kelsey's book here. And if you want to read more, you know, read it here. So right now I'm focused on like, how do I repurpose the content that I've already generated to it? 
um, moving forward this upcoming quarter, I'll be writing new things on anxiety-driven anger that are going to link to the book specifically. And then uh, starting next month, I'll be doing more blog posts and uh, interviews and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's, you know, because time is so limited, there's only so much you can do. It's figuring out what's going to be the most impactful thing to do. And I'm still figuring that out because I've never marketed a book before. So it's yeah. a little bit of trying a lot of different things and seeing what gets you the most bang for your buck. Yeah. And so, and right now you have a website for your book. Yeah. I do. Yes. Yeah. So my website for my book is kelseytorgersondunn.com and we'll have a, a link to that too. It's for my author website. Um, and on there right now, I have a, a free sample chapter of the book, which I'm really excited about the first chapter uh, and then resources that are referenced in the book. There will be a bunch of free downloads on there to, to um, include with the work that you're doing if you're using the book with a client or if a teenager is reading it. Hmm. So you're going to have like some, again, resources for the therapist or parent on how to support the child through the book as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So there's the parent guide that I mentioned, and we'll have a link to that on uh, KelseyDorgersonDen.com too, and mm-hmm. uh, links to order the book from all different places. Um, but also, you know, if I have the, uh, the blank elevators that you can use, it'll also link to, you know, a post walking through how do you use this elevator and like even if you're not reading the book, still explaining like yeah. this resource and the purpose and how to incorporate it. Yeah. But I do, I do think even with that, with the resources, probably if you're a therapist who you can already hear and say, oh, I, I need this for my teen, you're probably going to pre-order two, one for you and one for the teen so that you can kind of go through the process, have it in office. Yeah. Home with them and then I, I do process. think it is, it's, it would be useful for you as a therapist, if you're thinking about incorporating it in session to have a copy to kind of review it yeah. and, and think through like, here's how this matches up with what I'm already doing, or here are some new ideas for how to maybe tweak what I'm already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also information too, on like anxiety to anger and, and how it often mm-hmm. gets missed. You know, it's, we talk about the fight, flight, freeze impulse all the time, but mm-hmm. people forget that fight is an equally valid response to anxiety <laughs> and fear. Yes. So even something as simple as that, you know, if you have a chance to think about it in the book, you can start presenting these concepts to your client. Yeah. And I think it's true. Well, and the fawn one, which we don't often talk about either, yeah. that if you think about these anxious kids, like, especially who you described of like, they do really well in school, mm-hmm. that they're bouncing between maybe people pleasing and saying yeah. yes all the time to this fight response or even to the run. So they might even be bouncing between these, Mm -hmm. but if they're, if they're people pleasing, we give them validation for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's the one where they're like, Oh, so I'm just supposed to people please all the time. I'm supposed to fawn and fake it. And as Mm -hmm. long as I fawn and fake it, everything is fine. And we, we know as, as grown humans, that this does not, the fawning is not going to serve them well long-term no. in relationships at work. Um, you know, there's so many things and that's a lot of us are unlearning that still, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, like we need to teach our kids. Um, especially we need to learn it as our, as ourselves, even as therapists, um, how to unlearn that piece. So, um, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> So Kelsey Torgerson done, you're going to have to go to zinnime.com forward slash podcast and look at the show notes because God bless it. That's a lot, to spell. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try it. 
K-E-L-S-E-Y-T-O-R-G-E-R-S-O-N-D-U-N-N-N.com. D-U-N-N, two N's. Two N's, I, I swear I said that. D-U-N-N.com. Yes, yes, it is a long name, but it is, it is, it is. Torgerson was already my name and Dunn got added to the end of it. But there, I don't think there are any other Kelsey Torgerson Dunn's no out there that I know of so. yeah it's like my my son's name is a one of the ones in the whatever <laughs> thing and people are like you should get your kids like domain name and I was like he'll be fine he'll be fine yeah. <laughs> he can get it when he wants it I don't need to pay ten dollars a year for it he'll be just fine <laughs> Oh my goodness. So go and check it out. Definitely download the sample chapter pre-order the book. If you wish, mm-hmm. if you, I, I pre-ordered it. I'm about it. Um, go and check that out. Um, and know that it is a beautiful thing to reach out and support your community in this way. It's beautiful. Um, and it's part of creating like a successful practice gives you space, um, to do projects that are not, um, <sighs> immediately, (laughs) immediately profitable. Um, You know, I think this is such a a great example of something that's so needed and impactful. And I think it will have a return on investment long-term in terms of your career and your practice, but in the short term, creating a practice that has a little space so that you can play with this, um, I think is so wonderful and magical. So if you are looking for more support um, listeners, Business School for Therapists is out there. We teach you all of these pieces and more so that you can create a wonderful, profitable, balanced, sustainable practice um, that helps you stay out of burnout and love your life and reach your clients. So until next time, thank you again, Kelsey. Thanks for having me, Randa. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.